0: That song takes me back at a time of maybe maybe a time I would count as the most overwhelming trial I'd ever faced, when all seemed really lost to me on a Wednesday morning about four am um, as I was up, and the Lord just took over and intervened in ways I had never experienced before and to bring us through that trial. And that evening at prayer meeting, they sang this song. And so this song will always remind me of God's kindness. It was Passion Week, and it was a death and resurrection. me, that that wouldn't hold a candle to the kind of memories that the Apostle John had. At the end of the first century, as an elderly man, he thinks back over some 70 years of church history and all that's happened in that time to the first days that he met Jesus Christ. He may have even still been a teenager at the time, certainly very, very young, and now he's the last surviving apostle. And in his gospel, he takes us back to those beginning days of Jesus' public ministry, when Jesus was recruiting his closest band of followers. And last week, we saw John and Andrew and then Peter, who began to follow Jesus. John and Andrew, at least, had been... Uh, disciples of John the Baptist, and now they are disciples of Jesus. And then on the next day, Jesus calls Philip and then Nathaniel. I think it's good for us never to forget the interventions of God in our lives, for us never to forget the beginning when we first met Jesus and what that was like and why we came to Him in the first place and to keep living the life that He called us to live when we have come to see who He really is. And so in John chapter 1 and verse 43, we're going to read to the end of the chapter, we had this account of really the second day that Jesus is calling disciples to Himself. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. At the center of our text this morning are Philip's words, come and see. Jesus had used these same words when Andrew and John asked where he was staying because they wanted to have some time with him. And before Philip's invitation to skeptical Nathanael, the dominant verb we see is found. Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the Messiah. After his invitation, come and see, the dominant verb is some form of see. Jesus saw Nathanael under the fig tree before they met. The implication is that he saw more than the outside because he exclaims that Nathanael is an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. He sees Nathanael's character before they ever meet. It's enough to convince Nathanael that Jesus is the one Philip declared him to be. And then Jesus predicts that Nathanael will see yet greater things. He and the other disciples will one day see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, some observations from the account. Jesus found Philip before Philip found him. When Philip found Jesus, he found Nathanael and invited him to come see Jesus for himself. Jesus saw Nathanael before Nathanael saw him. When Nathanael realized who Jesus really was, Jesus prophesied that Nathanael and the other disciples would one day see even greater things. So, as we look at this today, let's look at it this way. We first want to look at the call to listen to the call of Jesus to follow him. Verses 43 to 45, we see the account of Philip following Jesus when Jesus called him. And then giving us some insight as to why he did. And then in verses 45 to 49, find others to come and see Jesus for who he is. And then in verses 50 and 51, trust in Jesus Christ and you will see greater things yet. Well, first, let's look at this call of Jesus to follow him in verses 43 to 45. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And we don't know Philip's history, just that he was from the same hometown as Andrew and Peter. It's possible. That he may have known them before joining the band of Jesus' disciples, but we don't know that for sure. The Seda was likely at the time, uh, had a population of about 15,000 people, and so I looked to see, where can we find a a town that has about that in South Carolina? Well, if you live in Berea, you have about 16,000 people that live in Berea, I'm on the edge of that. Um... And you could ask the question, well, how many of people who live in Berea do you know personally? Well, so that's about the chances maybe of their actually knowing um, Andrew and Peter. We just don't know for sure. During Christ's ministry, this city ended up having significant exposure to Jesus and His gospel, His miracles, and yet fact is that most of the people who lived there did not repent and believe. In fact, Jesus will pronounce woes on this city in Matthew 11, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And so, really, Philip is the exception in terms of those who live in this little town. But Jesus found Philip and personally called him to follow Unlike many in the city, Philip responded and became convinced that Jesus was, in fact, the promised Messiah. So this leads us, really, to a basic question. I know that we live uh, many centuries later, but the question is, has Jesus found you? And has he called you to follow him? Or maybe you could put it this way, has he whispered your name? You say, well, that sounds a little mystical to me, but yet almost every account I've ever heard of people coming to Christ, they will acknowledge that at some point God got hold of their heart and and it's like God was talking directly to them. They may not have heard an audible voice, but but they had the sense that, that God was directly dealing with them. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So I want you to think back. What or whom did God use to turn your heart toward Jesus? Think back to those days. It may be for some of you, it's just a couple years ago or a year ago, even more recent than that. And for some of you, you're going back decades what was it that God used to turn your heart toward Jesus? Perhaps you were undergoing some great crisis that, that, that put you on your back to where the only thing you could do was look up. Perhaps there was a sin that was destroying you, and, and however hard you tried, you could not shake its grip off you. It was, it was killing you, and in desperation, you cried out to God to rescue you. Perhaps it was a message in a church gathering or a vacation Bible school or a Bible study or a Sunday school or, or some word you heard on, on the radio, some sentence that, that stuck in your mind and the Spirit of God began to use that. Perhaps it was a mom or a dad or a brother or sister or a good friend or even a new acquaintance. Perhaps you actually came to the Lord because one day you opened the Word of God and you read there the words of God and those words created life in your soul. All of those possibilities are ones I've heard about before. I don't know what yours is, but at some point Jesus found you. The fact is all we like sheep have gone astray. We turn everyone to our own way. We're not looking for God. God is looking for us and Jesus found Philip and called him, and, and Philip responds and starts following him. And does that strike you as a little bit like, that's a little abrupt, isn't it? Like somebody walks by and says, follow me, and he says, sure, I don't have anything else to do with my life, I'll just follow you. That doesn't seem normal, so we know there was some kind of lead-up to this. We don't know what it was exactly, but verse 45 gives us some better insight into why Philip would have followed Jesus and continued to do so. It's clear that, that he had an expectation in his heart looking for the Messiah. He was familiar with what the law of Moses conveyed and taught and what the Old Testament prophets wrote about the coming Messiah and And somehow Jesus matched that description. You know, sometimes people think that trusting in Jesus Christ means they're betraying their Jewish heritage. But the Jewish Old Testament scriptures prophesy the coming Messiah. And in a lot of detail, some 300 some prophecies. And Jesus matches what these prophets predicted. And, and when people begin to understand that, when, when those that have come up in Jewish culture and, and religion realize this, then they're drawn to Jesus. That was, that was the message of the first century apostles, who themselves were Jews, familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures. They came to Christ because Jesus matched those Scriptures. Those who refused to trust in Jesus as the promised Messiah, the Savior King, actually had other motives for their unbelief. It was not the Jewish Scriptures that held them back. They were entrenched in a religious tradition that had become more about self-perpetuation than about seeking the Savior, seeking the Messiah. Of all the people on earth, the Jewish theologians and teachers of the Old Testament law should have been the first to believe in Jesus. Jesus. But the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them dug in their heels and refused. They had the scriptures, but their loyalty was to the system and the rules that they had built around the scriptures. So much so that spiritual life was not attractive to them. Even God Himself in human flesh was a threat. He did not bow at their shrines or follow their rules. He did not stroke their egos. He called them to repentance and faith as he did the rest of the rabble. And they consider themselves far better than other people, treating others with contempt. That kind of religion continues to this day. And often it's called Christianity. But it's not, it's off course. It may retain some features of the faith, but it's deviated. It's counterfeit, just as the Judaism that rejected Jesus was not true true Judaism. True children of Abraham put faith in God's Word and in God's Messiah that His Word reveals. Jesus confronted these men in John 5. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are not guys that that didn't know their Bibles. It's just that they weren't submitted to their Bibles. They used their Bibles. You search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The very scriptures they studied and taught were designed to point them to Jesus, but they refused to come because doing so would have cost them too much status among their peers. We know that from Jesus' subsequent words in John 5, 44 and following. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hopes. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In Luke 16, 27 to 31, Jesus tells the story of, of the beggar Lazarus uh, eating crumbs from Dives' table, and both men die. Dives goes to hell, and Lazarus goes to heaven, and Dives cries out in this torment for someone to go back to tell the rest of his house about this place and how they can avoid it. And, and he's talking to Abraham, and he says, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, my father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And that was absolutely true because somebody did rise from the dead, Jesus himself, and testified, and they still wouldn't believe. What are you doing with what God has already revealed? You might be seeking for more information. You might be trying to get an inside track on what truth is. What are you doing with what God has already revealed? Because if you're turning your nose up at that, If you're not paying attention to that, God doesn't owe you. He didn't even owe us the scriptures, but He gave us that. He put it in writing. He made it clear. He preserved them for us. So pay attention to what God has already revealed. Jesus would say to His disciples after His resurrection, He said to them, O foolish ones, Luke 24, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They had the idea of a reigning Messiah, they couldn't factor in the suffering Messiah. And so when Christ died, And then was raised again. They're trying to put it together. And he says, look, this is what the Old Testament talked about. This is nothing new. This is a fulfillment of what God predicted already. So the question is whether we will open our minds and our hearts to what the Old Testament teaches regarding the Messiah. And then see that Jesus matches those predictions. Or will we cling to religion instead, whatever your reasons for it, your family heritage, your standing in the religious community, the teachings of your religious group, even where they contradict what the Scriptures say, or, or maybe your loyalty as to some cultural truth, a staying with the times, or what somebody has written somewhere else, or, or maybe you worship at the shrine of science, by the way, science was never designed to be worshipped. Science is observation. Observation is developing that makes mistakes. And you have, to keep, uh, you have to keep discovering. And if you have a science that is dogma that can't be challenged, then it's not science. And yet how many give that excuse Why well, I don't believe in Jesus because I believe in science. No, you don't. Science, science observes. Science looks to find out. So do your due diligence in seeing what has been revealed. So have you ever sensed that Jesus was speaking directly to you, calling you to follow him? And if so, when was that? And and what was it like? Some Some of you have been saved long enough. You've forgotten the wonder of that moment. You've forgotten how blessed you are for God to have opened your heart and your mind to Jesus. And, and how have you accounted for the way the Old Testament talks about the Messiah compared to the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus? I mean, you have ever thought about the significance of that, that, that things said centuries before Christ would be fulfilled by Christ and would match up? I mean, how does, that doesn't just happen. Somehow you have to factor into your worldview and your sense of what is and what isn't, how that happens. I mean, the Bible didn't just show up one day on the New York bestseller list. You know, written over 1,500 years by 40-plus different authors, all with a similar theme. Old Testament, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The New Testament, he's here, centered on Jesus, the Messiah. And what evidence can you point to that now you are actually following Jesus and not just practicing religion? See, many in Christ's day, they kind of started in the right place, but they had drifted off course because there were other, other things they wanted more than Jesus. Second thing that we learned from this text is that we ought to find others to come and see Jesus for who He is. Verse 45 Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. As Andrew did with Peter, when Philip finds out that Jesus is the promised Messiah, he shares the news with a friend. Clearly, Nathaniel was also familiar with the Old Testament messianic prophecies. His, his first response to Philip questions that the Messiah would come from Nazareth. Nazareth was a border town full of Gentiles, particularly Roman soldiers who had a garrison there that was known for its irreligion. And more importantly, Micah 5.2 prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, the city of David, not Nazareth. Truth was, as we know from Matthew's and Luke's account of Jesus' birth, Jesus was in fact born in Bethlehem, though He grew up in Nazareth. It's possible Philip didn't even know that story of Christ's birth yet. The likelihood is suggested by the fact that he also calls Jesus the son of Joseph, and Joseph was the legal guardian. But we know from the eyewitness record that Jesus was virgin born of Mary. The miraculous sign that Isaiah had foretold in Isaiah 7.14 that a virgin would conceive. That doesn't happen. That's why it's a sign. It's not that Isaiah didn't know where babies come from. The sign, the miraculous sign was that this would happen and bear a son and, and would be called Emmanuel with us, God. And so, Who knows whether Philip knew all about that yet? He just introduces Jesus as far as what he does know at the time. Like the other disciples of Jesus and like Christians today, we don't understand everything. We have to grow. But God still used Philip, a brand new follower of Jesus Christ, to evangelize Nathaniel. Now we don't want to steer people wrong and we want to get our facts straight, but we are a work in progress. If you wait till you're perfect, you'll never tell anyone about Jesus. The point is to get them to Jesus. It's not so much about you. Hopefully you don't stand in the way. It's not so much about you. It's about Jesus and what he does for people. G. Campbell Morgan talks about Professing Christians who are icily correct and faultlessly faultless, but have no life or zeal. And the fact is that, that, that there's nobody that gets everything right all the time. That's why we have denominations. That's why some of you joined this church instead of another church down the way. And it's not because we got everything right. It's just that it's closer match to where you are. And the people who think they get everything right all the time are self-deceived. That kind of thinking breeds self-righteous pride and disdain for others. We want to be a good example to people. We don't want anything to stand in the way, but we can't save anyone ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. And those that obsess about crossing every T and dotting every I the way they think it should be done tend to talk very little of Jesus and to show very little Of his character in their lives. The main thing Philip knew is that he had found Jesus, the Messiah, and he's passing it on. I've got to be careful that in my talk of trying to influence others toward God, that Jesus doesn't drop out of my vocabulary. That, that I don't start thinking that somehow I'm going to fix their problem or Hampton Park's going to fix their problem or, or some movement's going to fix their problem. No, Jesus is the one they've got to see. Come and see Him. You know, even shortly before Jesus was arrested and crucified, Philip still had some misunderstandings. He still had room to grow. In John 14, 6, familiar passage to us, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I'm not saying that correct doctrine is not important. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not advocating deconstruction, okay? Okay. I am saying that you can be inviting others to come see Jesus from the moment you come to know Him yourself. You'll be growing in grace and in knowledge your whole life, and you won't reach perfection till glory. So you can't wait till then to start talking about Jesus to the people that you know. So how did Philip handle Nathaniel's skeptical remark? You ever worry that you won't have the answers for the skeptics? That, that they'll out-debate you? That they, maybe they're smarter than you are? Most of them are, right? There are many people that are smarter than any of us. That's not the issue. Here's how Philip handled the skepticism. Simply come and see. Check Jesus out for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it, but he's worth investigating yourself. That's far better than an argument. Discover who Jesus is for yourself. So I think sometimes we feel like we have to win the argument before we can win the person to trust in Jesus. You can win the argument and never have the person come to Jesus. What you want to do is to get them to Jesus. Let them have an experience of, of meeting who he is. So, John 1, 47 to 49, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree... I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. An Israelite indeed with no deceit. Jesus knows Nathanael already. He's not an Israelite in name only or just because of his nationality. He's not practicing his faith just for show, just to fit in, just to appear respectable. He's earnest. He's been in the Word. It's created a hunger for the Messiah. He's he's genuinely, he's genuinely seeking the Lord. When Jesus displayed his knowledge of who Nathaniel actually was in his heart, Nathaniel is astonished. How do you know me? I mean it's not that common for anybody to know you very well, right? To actually know how you think and how you process and who you actually are. And and it's completely uncommon for them to know that when they first meet you. They need time. Well, Jesus already knew Nathaniel. He knew him inside and out. He saw where he was, not just spiritually but also physically. Nathaniel's heart and Nathaniel's life were an open book to Jesus. The same is true of you and me. Jesus knows you as you really are on the inside. At any moment of time, he sees exactly where you are. He knows your history. He knows your future he knows your struggles he knows your hang-ups he knows where you're getting it and where you're not he knows you nobody else knows you the way Jesus does nobody else sees you the way Jesus does he's the ultimate safe place for you but you must forget any pretense and come just as you are. Because he already knows you. There's no point in putting on a show. Well, that was all the convincing that Nathaniel needed. He calls him rabbi, teacher, my great one. And then he calls him son of God and king of Israel. We almost wonder whether Nathaniel may have been meditating on Psalm 2 under the fig tree. Because he uses the same description Psalm 2 uses for the anointed one, the Messiah. He's the the Son whom the Father, God the Father, has established as King over all the earth on his holy hill of Zion. So, when's the last time you invited someone to come and see who Jesus is? When's the last time? What are the names of persons with whom you have enough connection that they would take you up on the invitation? I mean, it'd be really good for you to even to jot those down, and even take a moment now. If there are names that come to mind. Jot those names down. You know, I have a connection with this person. I have connection with that person. Um, you know, and the people that you have pointed toward Jesus already to to be praying for them by name. They're they're people that God knows and that God has connected you to. Who are those people? And as you think about this, there there probably are a number of people you have yet to point to Jesus, but, but you know them. You have some kind of connection with them, and you could do that if you would. If you would just plan to do it. If you would make it a priority. And then Perhaps you're not among those who are following Jesus yet, but, but so, so i ask you these two questions. What, what, if anything, have you ever done to explore who Jesus is for yourself? I mean, I'm not talking about just going to church or going to some religious service. I'm not just talking about even hanging out with the people who say they're Christians, although they might get you there, but, but what have you done just honestly searching? You know, do you do you have a Bible, or do you have a friend who could could maybe meet with you and you study the Bible together? Who, if anyone, would you trust to help you with that exploration? So you you might be thinking, well, you know, I'd like to explore who Jesus is. I don't even know where to start. Like you're talking about Old Testament and you're quoting all these verses and stuff. I I've never heard any of that stuff. Okay, but who do you who do you know whom do you know that that does know something about that and that, that could get together with you and maybe, maybe you could do something like reading the Gospel of John together and just talking through it and, and discovering for yourself. Let me encourage you to do that. Instead of just saying, you know what? My brain's so full already. This is something I don't have time for. Say, you know what? This is important enough to me. This is important enough to me to know that if there is actually a Savior King who rules an everlasting kingdom, who can cleanse my heart and life from sin, who can release me from the death penalty, who can deliver me from the wrath of God, who can give me an eternal inheritance and a new heaven and a new earth, uh, immortal, sinless, a place where righteousness dwells, the, the kinds of things the Scriptures talks about, that if there actually is that kind of place, if there actually is a way to it, then I would like to know. and Find a person who can help you do that. The third thing we see in our text is we need to trust in Jesus, and when we do, we will see far greater things yet. Verses 50 to 51, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I mean, Nathanael will see greater things for sure. He will see Jesus turn water to wine. He'll see Jesus heal all kinds of disease. He'll see Jesus cause the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. He would see Jesus feed thousands with one lunch. He'll see Jesus walk on water and cast out demons and raise the dead. He would see Jesus crucified, and he would see Jesus rise again. But there would yet be more. Jesus shifts from singular to plural in verse 41. So he's talking not just about what Nathaniel will see, but what all his disciples will see someday. There's no record anywhere in the Gospels of any event of what verse 51 talks about. The description reminds us of of Jacob's vision in Genesis 28 when he was running from Esau. He wasn't a believer yet, and God's revealing himself to him and giving him the the Abrahamic promise, and he saw in his dream the angels of the Lord descending and ascending a ladder between heaven and earth. It was was a dream designed to communicate that God is active on what is happening in earth and that he was going to be active through Jacob and his descendants, ultimately through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. you think about it, Jesus really is the ladder between heaven and earth, the only way to the Father. Angels attend him, and his redemption work. Men and women, boys and girls, bear testimony to his saving power. Then Jesus takes that image from back in Jacob's day and ties it to an image with Daniel's prophecy of the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite self-designation. In Daniel seven thirteen and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominions and everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed." Jesus Christ taught His disciples in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. For Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So, Jesus, in a very cryptic sort of form, reveals He's He's not only Son of God and King of Israel. He is the judge of the world at the end of the age. He is the way of salvation, and if He's rejected, then He's the one who will judge. He he promises Nathaniel that he and all the other believers will one day see with their very own eyes the end of the age when Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, will come with His holy angels to judge the world and rescue His own. In fact, since to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord… And the Lord reigns from the heavenly city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, where myriads of angels gather. It's the capital of the universe. Those angels carry out the orders of God between heaven and earth, like going up and down a ladder for the sake of the heirs of the kingdom. Today, Nathaniel and every departed believer gets to watch Jesus, the Son of Man, direct angels in their ministry, descending and ascending, doing heaven's work on earth. Rejoicing over every sinner that repents and turns to Jesus. They get to see that. And it's going to all come to a culmination at the end of the age. These are our gospel blessings from Jesus that, that, that we get to see one day. And, and we get to see gospel blessings now, even in this life. But there's much more to come culminating in that new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. This is the promised future for every saint of God, made so by faith in Jesus the Messiah, the Savior King, God the Son. So essentially what Jesus does with Nathaniel is, you've seen very little, you're going to see way more. In fact, you're going to see what happens at the end of the age. You're going to see God rescue sinners and bring them to heaven. You're going to see God kill death and give life. You're going to see a kingdom that will never end. Now, What are some greater things that you've seen God do since you started following Jesus? I mean, we read about the miracles, but we, we also have, we have experiences in our walk with Jesus that are things you know are interventions from God. Don't forget those things. Keep a record of them. And how can you let the bright future that Jesus has promised all his followers help you remain faithful throughout all the hardships and temptations in this life? There are greater things you're going to see. This is only the beginning. And Jesus is the one who will get you there. Come and see. Listen to the call of Jesus to follow him. Find others to come and see Jesus for who he is. Because when you trust in Jesus, you will see greater things yet. Let's pray. Our Father... We thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your testimony regarding him. From prophets of old to apostles who walked with him on earth, to the millions who have trusted in him and found their lives transformed. And this morning, dear God, I pray for these gathered here. I pray for those who've already begun following Jesus. Maybe for many years, I pray that that, God, they would keep their eyes on you, that you would keep them from the distractions, that you would protect them, that you would help them continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, I pray especially for those who have yet to put their faith in Jesus. They may even be religious, God. They may be fine people in terms of of common grace and morality and whatever else, or they may not be, but, but, Lord, they... They haven't yet come to Jesus and trusted in him. I pray, Father, that you would open their hearts, that you would move them to come and see and then trust, believe in Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Of course, in his name we pray.